And now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're looking at the fourth beatitude uh, in which Jesus states, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, so naturally, this got me to thinking about times that I've been hungry. So before we start, uh, I wanted to share one of those times, the one that does seem to stand out the most to me. Uh, it was when I was working on the Orange River in Namibia. That job used to start with us driving nine hours out of Cape Town, out of civilization, to the river where, uh, you know, the river that was the border between South Africa and Namibia. And we'd spend a day or two up at the base camp preparing, and then we would head off on a four-day journey down the river. This was by no means any kind of luxury getaway. It was very wild. I don't even know if it would be legal in Canada because of insurance or in liability policies and things like that. When we'd go on our trips, we'd paddle down the river, and then we'd just pull over on the side, and we would camp there. We'd sleep there. There were no tents or anything. We'd just have a little sleeping mat and a sleeping bag, life jacket as a pillow, and then we'd try to go to sleep surrounded by scuttling scorpions, spiders, snakes, blister beetles, balloons, hyenas, even the odd leopard. Um, it was pretty intense. As, as I say, we, we didn't have tents because we were traveling in these canoes. There wasn't much room for anything else. We got one little bucket to put our sleeping bag and all of everything that we had. Uh, most of our canoe was taken up by these large coolers uh, because those had to be full of drinks and some ice to keep the drinks cold to keep us hydrated in the 40 plus degree heat. So it was full of water or, you know, we'd put juice in the water because it didn't taste very good there in Namibia. And uh, that's what we'd take. Some would bring beer along uh, because a nice cold beer hits the spot after a hard day's paddling. Um, and we all know nothing beats the desert heat like further dehydrating yourself. <laughs> so it, w it was my job, uh, whenever we pulled ashore, to then take everyone's canoes and pull them up higher uh, to make sure that they didn't wash away. And then I had to carry all of these coolers for everybody, deliver them to them. Um, and just by the way, they didn't have proper handles. They had nylon ropes. So as soon as you grab them, it would smash your knuckles up against the hard cooler side, rip into your flesh. Uh, it was just an added bonus to it all. Um, then once I'd done that, I got to set up the outhouse, which was called the Thunder Bucket, um, make the fire, help prepare the meal, and all of this again in plus 40 degree heat. So, you know, I had other jobs before. I was 20 years old at the time, but this was shockingly difficult. Uh, it was quite the challenge, and I certainly worked up, you know, an appetite. Um, so I distinctly remember already on the second day of the first trip ever, I started to crave civilization and comfort, but specifically in the form of a Snickers bar. I don't know why, I don't eat a lot of Snickers, but that is all I could think about. So every day as I paddled my canoe, I was already feeling sorry for myself because it was by myself. I had all the gear in there, everyone else got two to a canoe. I had my cooler, I had most of the food for the guests, along with the outhouse bucket, 
uh, our camp table on top of everything, and about six inches of water on the bottom because my canoe had a leak. So it was hard paddling and uh, worked up an appetite and all I could think about was that Snickers bar. So when the first trip was finally over, I was so excited to go back to base camp. Then we got out of, out of the water and were of course, you know, told we had to load up all the gear first. Uh, this included lifting those massive heavy canoes up onto the trailer, which was about four levels high. Uh, so I had to learn quickly how to lift things that were too heavy for me. And then when it was finally time to leave, we were informed there wasn't enough transportation for everyone. Uh, and they needed to leave six of us guys behind along with one of the canoe trailers. And my friend and I, I was traveling with a friend uh, from school. We were new on the job, so of course we were chosen to be left sitting with four others on the side of the river in the desert in Namibia in plus 40 degree heat with no shade. Uh, for what ended up being over four hours, uh, we were nice and cooked when they finally came to pick us up. And it was with one pickup truck. So obviously there wasn't enough room in the truck for all of us, so we were then told, my friend and I, to sit on the upside-down canoes on the trailer for the journey home. So we'd gotten out of the water before lunch. I was excited for that chocolate bar. But when we finally drove back to the base camp down this dirt road, sitting on the back of the canoe in the middle of Africa, we ended up watching the sunset over the river, over the rocky mountains in this beautiful Namibian desert. And it was glorious. It was stunningly beautiful. And my friend and I were just in awe at how incredible that moment was and how we'd never be able to describe it to anyone back home in a way that would give it justice. And then we finally pulled into base camp well into the evening and I headed straight for the bar, bought myself a Snickers. <laughs> and finally, after an eternity of craving, you all now have been waiting almost as long as I was, I bit into the Snickers and it was the most unsatisfying, <laughs> most, most anticlimactic resolution to any story you could ever imagine. But it helped me realize something, you know, I am thankful because now when I look back at that day, it's not at the memory of the joy I felt from eating a candy bar. I now get to look back and remember sitting on the back of the canoe, taking time to enjoy the beauty of God's creation and all its glory. I'm thankful that I got to share that with somebody that I got to share with my friend. It was an eye-opening lesson to, to a 20-year-old to recognize how much more satisfaction I got from that moment, that, from that gift of that moment that was given to me, compared to when I finally got my hands on what I wanted, um, what I'd been craving uh, for what did seem like an eternity. So that brings us then, of course, back to the fourth beatitude, which does describe how life in the kingdom of God means a hunger, a thirst, a craving, for righteousness, and that this will make us full, will bring us satisfaction. However, we observed a couple months ago when we looked at the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet that 
because of sin, we don't really crave righteousness. We crave so many other things. Our society wants all kinds of things and wants immediate satisfaction for these things we want. We try to bring ourselves a sense of fulfillment through these things. We crave Snickers bars, food and drinks. We crave comfort. We crave pleasure, wealth, fame. But then if we do end up getting any of these things that we want, we're disappointed because they don't satisfy us because they can't. So we're left craving more. We're left unsatisfied with an endless quest for satisfaction. There's always something missing, a void, an empty hole in our lives. And St. Augustine says that the reason for this is that all our longings are in the final analysis, longings for God. Or as Daryl Johnson puts it for us, this endless, infinite hole in our lives that we cannot fill is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And this is what Jesus explains in the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word hunger is translated from the Greek word panao, which means to hunger or to be hungry or to be famished. But it is also very often commonly used in the Bible metaphorically to describe pining for, or longing for, desiring, or craving. And the same is true of the word thirst, translated from the Greek word dipsao, which means to thirst or be thirsty, but is also very often used metaphorically in the Bible to describe spiritual thirst or spiritual longing. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who spiritually long for, who spiritually crave righteousness. Now the word righteousness is used to describe a person or an act that is fair or just, that demonstrates integrity or virtue. Jesus is explaining to his listeners through his whole Sermon on the Mount what fulfillment of the law looks like, what Righteousness looks like what the righteous look like. But as he does so, he again makes it apparent that their understanding of how to attain this righteousness, how to become righteous, is backwards, is upside down. He explains just a little later in his sermon, as we read in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That unless we can follow the rules better than those who have taken rule following to an almost absurd extreme, we can never be good enough. And that on its own sounds discouraging. Is Jesus really saying, blessed are those who are like the Pharisees and their obsessive rule following? I mean, the Pharisees did believe they were following God's rules after all. But if you spend any time in church, you'll know that that is, of course, not the case. As Jesus is not saying, blessed are the Pharisees, blessed are those who are self-righteous or who feel righteous, and because of this also feel a sense of superiority over everyone else. And though I feel like this is something many of us may have heard before, all you have to do is take a quick look around 
at uh, people's comments on social media, at the way people are interacting these days to see that there is an awful lot of feeling superior to others in our world today. I certainly feel like there's more now than there was even less than a decade ago. So it does seem like it's worth reminding ourselves. A hunger and thirst for righteousness does not lead us to believing we're better than someone else. But Jesus is also not even saying, blessed are those who manage to follow God's law or who manage to earn their righteousness. Because he's not saying, blessed is nobody. No one can do this. What he is saying, if we remember to read the fourth beatitude in context of the three that come before it, is blessed are those who although knowingly are unrighteous, who although are aware of their spiritual bankruptcy, who although are poor in spirit and are in mourning because of it, come to Jesus in meekness and humility. They are blessed because they are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They recognize the need and they crave it. Jesus is saying that they, that we, surpass the righteousness of those who thought themselves to be so righteous, so holier than thou, who thought themselves to be spiritual giants, by realizing how they, how these Pharisees, had missed the point in their thinking of righteousness as external practices, as following just the letter of the law. They'd missed the point because they weren't being faithful to the relationship that is provided through the law. Because as we talked about at length when we looked at the Ten Commandments, the law was given to bring us back into relationship with God. So that the righteousness that Jesus teaches about in his Sermon on the Mount isn't righteousness that comes from being good. It's righteousness that comes from a life in relationship with God, it's a synonym, it's just another way of describing Christian life. And from this, as a product of this relationship, as a response to this relationship, should come a desire, a longing, a craving to follow God's will, to follow God's law. So our relationship doesn't mean living up to legal principles or standards of following the letter of the law. Righteousness does not just mean our actions. It's all about in living in faithfulness to the terms of our relationship with God. Again, if we look back at the Ten Commandments, we can remember that four of the ten were all about our relationship with God. And so by explaining this, Jesus takes the upside-down approach of the Pharisees, an approach that many of us still instinctively fall back into, if we aren't careful, he puts it right side up. And by explaining this, Jesus also reveals, as we've observed before, that the only antidote to our cravings for the wrong things, to try to make ourselves full, to our covetousness, to our idolatry, the only antidote to our sin and its consequence, death, the only antidote is God, is relationship with God, is loving God. So craving righteousness means craving relationship with God. 
recognizing he is the only source of real righteousness. But the beatitude doesn't end there, does it? Jesus continues with a promise that those who do recognize that God is the ultimate source of real righteousness and therefore crave relationship with God will get what they crave, will get their fill, will be satisfied. How will they be satisfied? Throughout his ministry, Jesus would go on to teach that the way, the way into right relationship with God, the way to satisfy his hunger and thirst is through him, through Jesus, that he is the source. In the gospel, according to John, our gospel reading that we heard today, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here again, Jesus is using hunger and thirst as metaphors for creating a relationship with God, for the human need to know God. And he explains that the way into this relationship is through him, God with us, the word made flesh, who came to rescue us and bring us back into relationship with him. And later in John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John goes on to explain that by this, by living waters, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So it's through Jesus that we come into relationship with God. He is the source, and he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, through whom all who accept Jesus' invitation into relationship get to experience that relationship every day. And this is what we should crave in desperation, understanding that relationship with God through Jesus is the only way to righteousness, because we're only made righteous through Jesus and his work on the cross on our behalf. Understanding that, understanding that relationship with God through Jesus is the only antidote to sin and death. That relationship with God through Jesus is the only source of life. So that when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He's saying, blessed are those who recognize they're going to die unless they find God, unless they find relationship with God. But they will find what they are looking for. He's saying, blessed are those who crave God, for they will find life. And as we've noted today, because of sin, we now crave other things more than righteousness, more than our relationship with God. So it's always worth reflecting on these things, worth asking ourselves, what do you crave? Is it money or comfort or leisure or relaxation or fame or affirmation? Is it a nice cold beer after a hard day's work? Or is it a Snickers bar? And I know that that may sound silly, and some of this may seem obvious to us, but as I shared today, there was a time in my life 
when a Snickers bar is what I craved more than anything else in the world. And what's crazy about that is I was going through one of the most memorable, enjoyable, exciting experiences of my life, but all I could think about was how badly I want candy. Is what you crave putting you at risk of missing or appreciating something even better that you already have? Do you still crave your relationship with Jesus? Or has it become something you're at risk of taking for granted while you try to focus on other things? Fourth Beatitude is a reminder to us how badly we need Jesus. And as a result of this is also a reminder to us not to forget this. Not to take our relationship with God for granted. Not to put it in the back seat to the other things that we want. Because it's only when we recognize that there is a God-sized hole in our life that only God can fill that we begin to crave God with a God-sized craving. It's only then that we can keep the main thing the main thing, that we can live right side up in an upside-down world. And many of us know this, but we also do need to be reminded of it. So let's just take this final moment today, right now, to stop and appreciate the sunset, the sunshine, stop and smell the roses, as we used to say. But we're just going to finish by taking a moment to, uh, we'll pray, um, but let's also take a moment to recognize that because we are here today, it means that we do have a hunger and a thirst for relationship, for righteousness. That's why we've come here. We want relationship with Jesus and many of us are in relationship with Jesus. And so if we recognize that, we also are here to take a moment to recognize and be thankful that we are made righteous through him.